It's great to have you with us for morning worship in the parish of Castlechur and Gosainan this morning. My name is Adrian, the vicar, and you are very welcome as you join us. 
Today is also a big day because for the first time in six months, having been worshipping together every week online because of coronavirus, we're today beginning to meet again in our buildings. I know that for many it'll be difficult to get to church, either because coronavirus restrictions mean that numbers in the building are limited, or perhaps because of an underlying health issue you may feel anxious about returning to church. So for a little while we're going to be continuing to worship online as well as meeting in person in our buildings. And I hope that that will enable as many people as possible to engage with us as a worshipping community. It's really good to have you with us this morning. Let's begin our service with prayer. God, who in gracious mercy sent the Holy Spirit upon the church in the burning fire of your love, grant that your people may be fervent in the fellowship of the gospel, that always abiding in you, they may be found fervent in faith and active in service. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Every part 
The reading is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, and about three o'clock he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the labourers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired at about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our great Redeemer. Amen. Now anyone who's ever worked with children whether as a parent or as a teacher or perhaps even in church, knows that one of their most frequently used phrases is this. It's not fair. The issue may be about the amount of food on their plates or about an appropriate time to go to bed or about whose turn it is to play with their favourite toy. This sense of fairness seems to be built into the human nature a sense that the world should be a fair place but often it's not, and that human beings have the right to protest if things are not fair. And this stays with us as we get older. We grumble if we feel that somebody else has had that promotion that we deserve, and we protest if our rightful needs are not met, especially if we perceive that those of our neighbours are being met better. This human sense of fairness and getting equal pay for the work that we do is what gives the parable of the workers in the vineyard its shock value. The landowner hires some labourers early in the morning and he agrees with them, their pay, 
the normal daily wage of one denarius. Farm work would have started very early in the morning, as early as 3am in the summer, to get the work done before the heat of the day at noon. Here, though, the hired men work throughout the day, even in the scorching heat. The landowner goes out again several hours later, at nine o'clock, where he finds men standing idle in the marketplace, and he invites them to come in and to work in his vineyard. He goes out again at noon, at three o'clock, and yet again at five o'clock, and he finds yet more idle men. They've been standing idle all day. He hires them, simply telling them that he would pay them what was right. Remember that by the time they were starting their shift, it's possible that those who'd started at the beginning of the day had already worked as many as 14 hours. And once hired, those idle men worked hard. So far, so good. In our minds, we've already figured it out. They're going to get a pro rata share of one denarius. According to our standards, that would be fair. At the end of the day, the landowner had all the workers line up, even those who came at five o'clock. And lo and behold, he paid them all a denarius, a full day's wage. Still no problem. If he paid one denarius for one hour's work, then he must be going to pay one denarius an hour. That would be generous, but it would be fair. This is where the parable takes an unexpected turn. For as the workers file past to receive their wages, he pays them all the same, one denarius each, no matter how long they worked. When pay time comes, those who are hired last are paid first, and they get the same normal daily rate. The first to be hired see this and they expect more. After all, it's only fair that you should be paid more for more work. They're disgusted to be paid only the normal daily rate, even though that's what they initially agreed. I wonder whose side you most comfortably sit on when you hear the story. Do you think that those first workers have a fair point? Think of your own workplace. Would it be fair for everyone to be paid the same, without regard for effort that they might put in? And the landowner's response to the objection may seem thoroughly unsatisfactory. He can do what he likes because it's his own money. True, but it doesn't actually address this issue of fairness which is the problem here. Never mind that they get precisely what they were promised. The fact that others have been given the same was a pill far too big to swallow. The landowner replied, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I'm generous? Take your pay and go home. Now we instinctively sympathise with the aggrieved workers. It doesn't seem fair. The retort of the landowner is technically correct. No one has been cheated and the agreement has been scrupulously observed. Why then do we feel that there's something wrong here? I think because we can't detach ourselves from the ruling convention that reward should be commensurate with services rendered. 
you get out what you put in. But before we hurry on, we might also want to pause and think about those workers who were idle. Why were they idle? We immediately assume that they must be lazy, not wanting to work. But this can't have been the case, because as soon as they were offered work, they took it and they worked hard. Perhaps there was no work available and they were simply standing around waiting for an opportunity. An opportunity that the landowner provided. They didn't necessarily know about the finer details of the arrangements that he'd made with those who'd started earlier in the day. They were simply dealing on a one-to-one basis with a man who'd offered them work. So the question remains, why were they idle? There were perhaps too many men there early in the morning, meaning that it was impossible for them to be picked. Or perhaps ill health may have prevented them from being there, ready to work at 3am, let alone working a 14-hour shift, which they may not have been physically able to do through no fault of their own. Or maybe they had other responsibilities, like looking after children or family, that meant that they couldn't immediately leave the house. We can be quick to judge, but we need to remember that idle doesn't necessarily mean lazy. We may look at others and be quick to judge them on their own Christian journey, perhaps because they appear idle or less motivated in serving Jesus, or just because they don't appear to want him in their lives at all. Just like the workers, I encourage you not to judge because there'll be many background factors that you won't be aware of in the lives of other people as you meet them along the way. Praise God. Thank goodness that he treats every individual like he treats those workers, no matter what hour of the day that they come into the vineyard. We may want to pause for a moment to consider who Jesus' audience might have been when he was telling this story. The most likely candidates are the disciples, the twelve themselves. Given that there had been discussion about the challenges and rewards of being a disciple, and that the issue of rank and which of them would be considered greatest among the disciples would soon become an issue, as the disciples started to argue among themselves for the best seats in the kingdom of heaven. This parable only appears in Matthew's Gospel. Remember that Matthew was a Jew, so this teaching may have been important in contrasting faithful Jews who had a long legacy of obedience to God with the Johnny-come-lately Gentiles who were relative newcomers to the feast of the kingdom of heaven. Many of us have encountered the church member who is diligent in doing his or her duties over the years and appears to have an implied sense of rank or privilege as a result, which often makes it hard to welcome those new to faith into the community. In this context, the parable speaks a work of radical egalitarianism, the idea that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and equal opportunities. All stand equal before the landowner, that is God, whether they are early or late to the work. All stand before God and are in an individual covenant with him, a personal relationship. God has the right to be generous as he likes, to shower undeserved favour on anyone he wishes. Ultimately, 
It's a matter between God and his reconciled child. At that level, those who are hired first remind us of the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son and the forgiving father in Luke's Gospel, who never realised that being at home and in relationship with the father was the best reward that he could ever have. Ultimately, this parable shows us the extraordinary generosity and grace of God who gives those who enter the kingdom last the same blessings as everybody else. This sometimes makes us feel envious. We're happy with our situation until we hear of somebody who's doing better. The landowner overturns all of the conventional practices, and he does that not because he wants to make an extra profit for himself, but for the very opposite reason. He wants to be generous and to pay more than justice demands. God is like the landowner and his blessings and his forgiveness are far more than we deserve. We sometimes hear testimonies from people like the thief who died alongside Jesus on the cross who'd no doubt done some terrible things in his life. At the eleventh hour, they repent and they believe in Jesus. They're totally forgiven and they receive the benefits of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Some people complain that this is unfair. Yet, God often uses their stories greatly, even seemingly more than those of us who've borne the heat of the day. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus is saying that this is anything but an opportunity to be envious, but rather to marvel at the generosity of God, at his love and at his graciousness to all of us. It's all grace and it's all undeserved. The reality is, it's not just those who come at the eleventh hour to which God is gracious. He's gracious to you and me too. If God only gave us what we rightfully earned as a result of our labours, we'd be far worse off. Yet, if you accept the generosity that Jesus showers upon you, the results are staggering. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus makes it possible for you and me to be forgiven and to enjoy his great love into eternity. Whether accepted, experienced and transformed by his death and resurrection in the early years of infancy, during turbulent teenage years, during increasing pressures and responsibilities of adult life, or as frailty creeps in with old age, God's plans for you and his loving gifts for you remain immense. Amen. Jesus, you have called us. Come, follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself.
Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your great generosity. Even when we're tempted to wonder about it, help us to give thanks. Even when we're tempted to want what we deserve, remind us that that's the last thing that we want. We want your love and your mercy, and we want really to see it extended to other people as well as to us. Help us then, whether we've been working for a long time or only a short one, to delight in what you do for other people as well as for us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we pray for our church. It's gone through a strange six months, and now we're beginning to meet in person. But at the same time, we're meeting online, and for some people that will be the right choice for some time to come. Help us to make sense of this new order. Help us to value whether we meet in person or virtually, and help us to remember the importance of our brothers and sisters in Christ as we try to use our gifts and serve them and to welcome all that they do for us. We're asked today to remember the Mumbles ministry area, Keith Evans the leader, and we think of them in that very picturesque end of Swansea. And much further afield, we pray for the Christians of southern Sudan, a place that's known a great deal of war, violence, civil unrest, and even now is far from settled and entirely peaceful. We pray for those who live and work there, that they may find your purposes and be able to witness to the love that you have for them and for others. And with them we remember our leaders here, Adrian, our vicar, John, our bishop, and all those others who have offices and responsibilities. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, as we listen to the news, we're not quite sure if we're having a second wave of COVID. Certainly there are worrying signs. And we bring them to you and ask that you will give wisdom to those who have to make decisions and implement regulations and other measures to try and cope with this situation. And for all of us, we ask restraint, that despite our impatience and our feeling that it can't possibly affect us, our behaviour may not cause problems, may keep others safe, and may be considerate and thoughtful and reassuring. We pray for those who continue working day by day and week by week, for those in the health service, for those working with children and young people and trying to continue their education. We pray for those who go on and are under strain 
and also for those whose lives seem to be paused because they have to take a step back, perhaps unwillingly take time off, be isolated, be without occupation, without things to do, and to face the difficulty of coping with that. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we pray for those in need, we remember Paul in prison, making the most of what must have been an extremely difficult and uncomfortable situation with the uncertainty of the future to deal with as well. And so we pray for all those who are in difficulty, need, crisis, whatever its cause and however it manifests itself. May there be help and support for them. May they be able to find reassurance in faith and rely on, be able to rely on people of faith for help. And we pray too that for all those who face trouble now, that in time that experience may be something that they can draw on and use, perhaps by being more sympathetic to others who go through difficulties, perhaps by understanding a little more of themselves and their reactions, so that they can be a little more patient, a little more sympathetic. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So, Father, help us to be as generous as you are. Help us to be glad when other people do well, are lucky, receive things that we value and would like ourselves. Help us to cope with the tendencies we all have to self-pity and jealousy and grumbling, and to deal with them and with everything else that stands in the way of your love, your joy, and a readiness to serve. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Redeeming love has won You rose from death and crowned with glory now
Hope you've enjoyed the service today and it's been great to have you with us. If you'd like to attend one of our face-to-face services either throughout the week or next Sunday, remember that you can phone to book in and all the details are on our website syncath.org.uk. Likewise, if there's any help or support that we can offer you, please don't hesitate to be in touch. We'd love to hear from you. But now as you begin another week, let me pray for God's blessing over you. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Out in the power of your spirit 
as we've received, may we freely give. Send us out, send us out, send us out for your glory. Let all we do be praised to you. Send us out for your glory. out in the power of your spirit to show your love everywhere we go send us out in the power of your spirit lord fill us up so we overflow 